time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. My Right View Roundtable tonight is Lori Medina, and we always start our second hour with our Right View Roundtable question of the week. So here's what it is. So I saw these stories that involved when, and we know President Trump is now on a, I believe it's nine-day tour um, of various countries. He's, he left America, I think, on Friday, and they landed in Riyadh, um, Saudi Arabia, and Melania Trump, as his wife, as well as Ivanka Trump, his daughter, both of them chose to get off the um, plane and into the and, and walking around within Saudi Arabia without wearing headscarves, which are largely required for women in Saudi Arabia. And um, what was interesting was, I guess, candidate Trump criticized Michelle Obama, saying when she did exactly the same thing in 2015, that she had insulted the Saudis. So just, you know, what is your take on that? Is, is it just kind of an unnecessary slight to the people of Saudi Arabia for Melania and Ivanka not to wear the headscarf to honor Islamic tradition? Or was it kind of a statement that you like? Uh, or whatever you want to say. You know, Debbie, how I feel about Trump. <laughs> I have not been a huge fan, but I will tell you, when it comes to Melania, I love Melania. I really do. I love Melania, and uh, I love what she wears. And in this case, I love what she doesn't wear. <laughs> I love that she did not wear a headscarf. And, you know, I don't know if that was her decision or who was involved with that, but ultimately it was, it had to come down to what she wanted to do as a person, and she didn't wear that, uh, that headscarf, and I am thrilled that she did not wear it. To me, that headscarf, the head covering, it, it, it represents oppression of women. It angers me every time I see it, and I'm thrilled that she did not, uh, did not put that on. You know, it's very interesting. Um, I agree with your take on that with a couple little caveats, but I think that, you know, generally speaking in life, the whole notion of you visit a foreign country and you defer to their customs, and if the custom is you're not supposed to eat everything on your plate, you leave a little bit of food, there's some rule about that in some places, other places you should eat it all, whatever. I, the notion, generally speaking, of deferring to the customs yeah. of other countries, and especially as an American diplomat, the president, I think in generally speaking, you should defer to their various sure. customs. But we are, in 2017, in this world, wrapped up in a battle with radical Islam versus Western civilization. That's what our battle is. And it is, it is the battle of our times. It's like communism was a battle of Reagan times, Reagan's time. And so here we are, and we are in a place where we are trying to say, as Western civilization, we do not honor and we will not submit in any degree, to the demands of Islam. We're not going to become Muslim. We're not going to defer or honor. So I thought it was great because I agree with you. The headscarf thing symbols, it's a symbol of of kind of oppression, mm -hmm. of being right. a, a piece of property from men. It is a, and you know, I hear women say, well, some Muslim women like to wear it. Okay, fine. Knock yourself out. You like right. to wear it. But the notion that in Saudi Arabia, which is so repressive of women, mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia is a country you still cannot drive. Right. You cannot go to college without the permission of a man in your family. All sorts of rules in Saudi Arabia. So I love the spirit of yep. I'm not doing it. Yep, I do too. And listen, if you're as pretty as Melania, you are which are probably breaking laws by covering up your head anyway. So <laughs> There you go. Laws of nature or something like That's that. Right. I don't know. But you know, and, and I loved her belt. Everybody oh. on Twitter was going after her belt and I loved her outfit. So I just want to say the I love Melania 
segment here. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate how classy she looks, too, yep. all the time. Yep. I mean, she, in every single uh, outfit she wears, any occasion, she looks classy and gracious mm-hmm. and, and, and like the classiest dressed person there. So, and, and I do love that, too. I will say, in addition, though, to just this particular issue about what she wore or didn't wear in Saudi Arabia... There's something happening in America that I saw on Twitter, I think, first, and then I uh, looked around. But there's basically a march in America, a women's march against Sharia law. It is set for June 10th, 2017. All the major cities are going to sponsor it. And again, women's march against Sharia law, June 10th, 2017. And it was interesting because I saw it and I quick Googled to figure it out, like what it was Mm -hmm. and who's sponsoring it. I still don't know who's sponsoring it. But what interesting were all the uh, instantly when you Google it, what, what kind of head, uh, articles came up, and the top ones were left wingers, march for hate, organize against Muslims. I mean, right. Daddy, if you can't understand what's wrong with Sharia law and why we can't have that in America and why we ought to be speaking up against the repression of women woven into Sharia law, and you think that's oppression, I, I tell you, it's crazy. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> So, Indeed. well, you know, and yeah, I'll tell you something else. I had this thought about this. I love that some women in America dared to organize this. And I really, I think it'd be very telling who on the left shows up to protest this march against Sharia. I mean, I mean who would, who would say, I mean, I'm serious because what you're really saying is I support Sharia. Is that, I mean, if you don't like this march, you're saying, I think it's pretty good. Sharia, by the way, if you wonder why in Saudi Arabia they still cut off your hand as a conviction if you are yep. caught stealing, they still repress women, that all comes from the law born out of Islam, which is called Sharia. Okay, that was our question for the week. And when we come back after the break, which is rapidly approaching, we have another great guest joining us. Uh, this is J.D. Rucker, the co-founder of the Federalist Party, a new political party in America. So we're going to cross-examine him, ask him what the heck he's doing. Don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We just fastest two hours and funnest two hours of my week. Love doing this show. I have Lori Medina here tonight, my Right View Roundtable and good friend. And we have on the phone, as I mentioned before our break, we have on the phone a gentleman from, he's actually from California, J.D. Rucker, and he is the co-founder of a new political party called the Federalist Party. He also owns an advertising agency in Southern California. He's a conservative in Southern California, where he <laughs> lives with his wife and three children and a fourth one on the way. So, oh. hello, J.D. Hello, how are you? We're very well. We're happy to talk to you. You know, we haven't met you in person. Lori, Lori and I are 
way involved in politics and talk endlessly about different things mm-hmm. in politics. So um, we both are very interested in, and you know, on the conservative side, just very interested in this idea that you, along with apparently others, found, are working to found or have founded a new political party on the conservative side called the Federalist Party. So can you just tell us a little bit, like, why are you doing this and what's it all about? Sure. Uh, as far as why we're doing it, um, yeah, I was, I've been a lifelong Republican, okay? I've been, from when I was could first think about what politics were. I remember, remember you know, loving Reagan, loving the concepts of conservatism, reading about conservatism my entire life. And what we've seen is that the Republican Party, while still being more conservative of the two parties, has been drifting to the left and sometimes lurching to the left. And we've seen this just continuously. Sure, we've seen some good things coming out of, say, the Tea Party. We've seen conservatives that are, are getting into office in 2010 and 2014. But we're also seeing a pushback from the establishment, and this is really starting to to affect the ability of a uh, small government movement, a, a freedom-loving movement, to to grow. And so, uh, rather than continuously you know, just saying, "Okay, the next year, next election, next time, we're we're going to finally get that conservative uh, president, presidential candidate, or we're going to get a, enough conservatives in Congress to to actually do something about it." Uh, we decided we're just not going to wait anymore. We're going to focus on uh, federalist values, and we look at federalism as essentially, you know, conservatism but magnified, uh, kind of focused, uh, sort of like a magnifying glass of conservatism. Uh, our focus is on smaller government, defending freedoms, and protecting life. And we feel that between those three things, with the Constitution as the foundation, we have the ability to essentially allow Americans to solve our problems for us to solve their own problems and get the country back on the right track. So, yeah, that's that's how we got started. Okay, JD, I got to jump in and ask you. I I was I am taking notes while you're talking. But you said smaller government protecting life. What was your third central point? Protecting freedoms. Defending freedoms. Just yeah. defending freedoms yeah. in in a broad sense of that word. You mean like the the freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Constitutional freedoms. Our freedoms we're given these freedoms, okay? And we're not given these freedoms by government. We're not given these freedoms by even the Constitution. We are born as Americans with particular freedoms. And we're watching as these freedoms are being being skewed. Many of them are being, being taken away. We, we see as the, the liberals, you know, the left is actively attempting to not just take away freedoms, but to redefine what a freedom should be. In many ways, they're using freedoms against us. So to put in, in essence, a uh, uh, this person's freedom is more important than that person's freedom, or or whatever. There's, I could go into great detail about <laughs> about the freedom component. A small government, we all understand, and freedom life. I think, I think for the most part, we all understand. But the freedom aspect of it is is a little bit more complex. You know, there are there are libertarians, for example. The Libertarian Party has been has been essentially pushing for freedom for a long time. Same thing with the Constitution Party. And many in the Republican Party do as well, but there seems to be uh, challenges when it comes to defending these freedoms. For example, with the Libertarian Party, their biggest challenge is just strategy. I'm not against the Libertarian concept by any means, but the party leadership, the party itself, has not been able to really make an impact. And for as long as they've been doing it, and with as much momentum as they've had, for them to not be able to to really, you know, get a bunch of governors or, or congressmen or even even local politicians, their, their strategy is flawed. So we looked at it, and then we really decided that for us to be able to defend these freedoms, whether it's, like you said, the First Amendment, Second Amendment, um, you know, the ability to 
to uh, carry guns should be very easy and fundamental. It's not hard, and yet we've complicated it so much in American politics that we have to we have to figure out a way to simplify it and to make certain that no matter what, these creeds, these constitutional creeds, are defended. And that's really at the core of our party. Yes, they are. You know, Lori and I are looking at, we have the advantage of being in the same room looking at each other. I don't know who wants to jump in, but let me just say one quick thing. First of all, I, I, this is very interesting, and I will tell you my, um, and I'm sure the reaction you may have had from other conservatives when you first posed this, because, uh, you know, I'm endlessly talking about the, the exact things you're talking about. The Declaration of Independence recited what were universal truths that were created by our maker, that we are born with these rights and that they are inherent uh, and, and the country exists to protect those and all that kind of stuff. So totally with you on that. But every time I see an election come along, and I'm especially even presidential elections, and there is a um, a Green Party candidate or some other left-wing split-off candidate, I'm always thinking, yay, the Democrats will probably lose, the Republicans will win, because I think that—so how do you—do you have a thought or a strategy about that? Or are you concerned at all that if you really get this party up and running, that you'll have a Federalist run and you'll have a Republican run and have some elections that are lost to Democrats because of the existence of this? Absolutely, Debbie. We have what we— our first, when I first got some people together to discuss this, that was obviously the biggest concern. And so we, we established right up front, essentially, you can call it sort of like a, a uh, political Hippocratic oath, you know, do no harm. So we're going to be very particular about what races we enter, how we build the party, who we're going to go after. We do not want to be the cause of further leftism. So... You know, you, you mentioned, for example, when a Green Party candidate is running it, you know, uh, uh, Jill Stein is going to take votes from from uh, Hillary Clinton, stuff like that. You know, that's yes, that is a that is a challenge. We're not going to enter a single race unless we have a very firm confidence that we have the ability to win it. We're not going to throw up token candidates. We're not going to steal votes from Republicans so that Democrats can win. We're going to pick and choose the elections that we know that we can win. And if that city councils where we feel the true seat of government should be, you know, it starts at the home, it starts at the individual, that is self-government. But then when we get into the local elections, that's where we're going to make our biggest impact. We're not going to be, you, I, I would, it would take some dramatic actions and, and things happening for us to even consider running a presidential candidate, for example, in 2020. I'm not saying it's impossible, but here's the thing. People are going to work for this party. They're going to volunteer. They're going to, to give their time, their, their talent, and their treasure to this party. We're not going to waste it so that we can say, oh, look, we've got 0.1% of the vote for president, and, and we're the fifth biggest in the country, and, and by golly, this is, this is wonderful. No. If we can't, if we have no chance of winning, we're not going to run. If we can find a candidate that we could support, let's say, you know, in, in, in your neck of the woods, Ted Cruz in, in, uh, when, when he's up for election, Sure, I could picture us not. I couldn't. I actually couldn't picture us running against him or a Ben Bass or Mike Lee, for example. You know, we could actually throw our support behind it. This isn't about. This has nothing to do about partisanship. This is specifically about the Constitution itself and defending that. I, I, first of all, you, you are singing our tune, or they say, preaching the choir, but I love, first of all, your reference to local races, and it is actually a way to build people's understanding, too, in a local community, if you have a city council or some other race where someone's from a different party, but what they're saying makes sense. I think I can see that 
eventually uh, growing throughout the country and people learning about the party that way, which, which I love that, and I think that's a really, really smart idea. Um, and I also will say what you're expressing, though, is essentially frustration with uh, the Republican Party that literally millions feel, which is why the Tea Party got started, why we have uh, just just deep dissatisfaction, people not showing up in national elections. It was a really odd thing this year. I know you're—actually, I meant to get a quick question in before we get to a break in about a minute, but— this party that you're describing, this did not did not come to being or come to thought because of Donald Trump's campaign. This preexisted this idea about came along long before he did. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't say long before. It it did. Our genesis came from looking and realizing through the the primary campaigns. And again, it wasn't Trump or. Or Jeb Bush, or Lindsey Graham, or or any any of these people that said, you know what, we've got to form a uh, further right wing party that fight these. It was more along the lines of what was happening within the party itself and the trends. Look, we've all for 28 years since Ronald Reagan left, we've all felt in essence a void, and that void has been, you know, whether it's in the form of of government getting bigger, budgets getting passed that should never be passed. You know, Republicans. That are supposed to supposedly against, you know, whether it's Planned Parenthood or whatever, still voting to fund these. Okay, this is wrong. Absolutely. So, I got to jump in. We got 10 seconds yeah. here. We're going to go off to a break, and we're speaking with J.D. Rucker, co founder of a new party, the Federalist Party. He has lots of great thoughts, so don't go away. Right after the break, we'll come back and keep on talking to J.D. Rucker. nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. 
Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility, when politicians propose solutions, to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I have Lori Medina in studio. And on the phone with us tonight, we have J.D. Rucker, who's the co-founder of a new party. He lives in California, so he's here by phone. And the new party that they he is a co-founder was called the Federalist Party. And part of what we were hearing before the break was the thinking behind it had a lot to do with the frustration of the failure of the Republicans, elected Republicans, to follow through with the promises they have made, which if you've been tuned, listening to the first hour, you hear this frustration that, or any other time you tune in this frustration all the time on the show. You know, the notion we wanted Obamacare repealed, we actually meant repeal. And it got, you know, as I said, aim your blame, aim your blame at the House GOP that simply would not do what they said they would do. So, but Lori Medina is here. She was going to go off on a different track, I think. Hi, J.D. So glad you came and onto our show. Thrilled you're on. <laughs> I am too. I'm a blessing. Oh, hey, listen. Um, so I was telling Debbie, you and I connected. I can't even remember. I think you and I connected last fall, maybe. I can't even remember yeah. when it was. Approximately uh-huh. last fall. And you know, one of the questions when we first connected, I think we talked on the phone, and it was, "Who are you? And uh, what qualifies you to start a political party?" I mean, there's a lot of us that have been in, kind of in the political trenches for a lot of years doing lots of things. And my question was to you, and, and you know, in a, in a nice way, was who are you? 
And why would you why would you feel like that you were the one to do this? And so that's I know the answer to it, JD. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners. It's funny because the uh, yeah, as far as the the who aspect of it, this is something I was doing an interview. There's an article coming out on on a Daily Wire uh, that where they really pressed that issue quite a bit, and, and you know for obvious reasons. The the first portion of the answer is is very simple. Um, I'm a caretaker. Okay, at the end of the day, I know for certain that there's going to be if we can get this to a tipping point. You know, we're in, we're in the tens of thousands now. If we can get to the hundreds of thousands or the millions of supporters, then I shouldn't say if when we do, at that point we should be able to to get smarter, better people than me to come in and actually lead the party from a from a. Uh, um, a professional perspective. As far as who I am, I'm a business owner. I'm a, I'm a Christian first and foremost. I'm a father. You know, as as Debbie mentioned, where where fourth is on the way, um, and a husband. And those things are are very important to me. But very close to that, I'm an American, and I'm an American who has tried and pushed. I've given time. I've given effort. I've given everything I can. Whether it's to the Tea Party, whether it's to to the Republican Party, whether it's exploring other third parties, I've looked for anyone who can actually just say, you know what, this is this is what we need to do, which is you know, and then take everything back to the Constitution, and this is how we're going to make it happen. You know, you can get one or the other. The Republican Party, they know how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. They just don't have. I mean, they have the strategy to win elections and to to get votes, and but but then, like you said, with uh, with the uh, HCA. You know what they do once they get the power doesn't seem to match what they promised in order to get the power in the first place. Then you have other parties out there that seem to want to do the right thing, but they don't have a strategy to bring it together. Who is J.D. Rucker? Who am I? I feel I'm somebody who can bring both of those things together, um, not just myself, but, but keep in mind there's there are people I speak to, um, this core group, this executive group, uh, every night, four nights a week, and then other portions of it uh, a couple of nights a week where we're planning out, trying to figure out what is the best way to do this. What I bring to the table is at least a, a modernized strategy from a viral perspective, being able to take my experience, owning an advertising firm, uh, doing this for over a decade, and apply you know, modern technology, modern, modern thought as far as how to get a message out to this third party, this, this smaller party idea. I know for certain that if we can take uh, the Federalist message and get it in front of enough people that they will, they will, uh, they will embrace it. The earlier, you, I think it was, I'm sure, I think he perceived me, uh, Dr. Sterling Burnett, mm-hmm. uh, big fan. You know, guy knows what he's talking about. Um, I would love to talk to to him at some point about the climate because here's the thing: people always associate, you know, if, if you're if you believe in man-made climate change destroying the earth, and you're you're a leftist, and if you believe that it's if you're a denier, then you're on the right. You know, but for the most part, that's true. But here's the thing. I feel that if I were able to talk to, from a federalist perspective, talk to people who are, you know, in favor of, of uh, saving the environment from, you know, whether it needs to be saved or not, I feel that if I can speak to them, or if anyone with a proper federalist message can speak to them and show them how federalism benefits them and their cause, how true federalism, if you really want to save the environment, you don't go to Paris, you don't, you don't sign a, a, a this agreement <laughs> and, and pledge a trillion bucks 
to something that's not going to work, that they're trying to – they're saying that they can figure out what's going to happen in five years, ten years. They can't figure out what's going to happen mm-hmm. to the weather tomorrow. So right. don't tell me that your science can figure this out. What you can do from a federal's perspective is you can apply it to the local level. You can build recycling plants. You can educate. You can pick up, you know, fix the environment at your – in your town, in your area. And every state can focus on their area and they'll let other countries do what they're going to do because guess what? I don't care how, how many people sign and how much money is thrown at this, okay? We might do our part. Canada might do their part. France will probably go above and beyond doing their part since it was in their country. But you can't tell me that China is going to do their part. You can't right, tell right. me. And I'm not saying they won't, but I'm not confident in that. So right. federalism will work to help the environment. And you know, that occurred oh. to me just really quickly, Go which ahead. is, you know, I meant to say this at the beginning, I forgot. I love the term federalism, but I've said this when Lori and I were Talk talking about, about the name of this party yes. you, last year, I said, I'm concerned because the name sounds, if you're not well-educated, it sounds like you mean, I love big federal government. So can you define what, why do you like the term federalism, what it means? Well, J.D., t- explain to everybody where the name came from, because I love the story of how, where the name came from, because it's all connected. <laughs> So initially, I was very concerned about the name. Okay, uh, I know what federalism is. I followed how how Reagan invoked federalism. Uh, you know, even even Richard Nixon was pushing for federalism. I know that the concept of balance between the state and federal government is what true federalism is all about. You know, Madisonian federalism, we'll call it. But you're right. You know, and, and that fear, that education gap. That knowledge gap of being able to no no don't worry federalism means smaller government I know that sounds weird okay statism means bigger I know you know and I even thought about you know use the uh, explain how well you you drive on the parkway and you park in the driveway and it's, anyway so <laughs> I had I had a big challenge with that but when we when we had our our first batch and this is approximately you know the the initial um, groundswell the initial uh, people who came to the party and really started started asking for more information before they even knew what the name of the party was. We, we picked out eight names. I went and grabbed eight domains. Uh, we picked out eight names. We had several meetings about trying to figure out what the best ones were, and we put it to a vote, and it wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, was, it was like three times as many people voted for Federalist Party as all of the other ones combined. They were like 73% voted Federalist Party, and 27% voted all seven of the others combined. So that's how we came up with the name. And it's now, because they were well-informed right. people. I'm sorry. They were well-informed people. Absolutely. They know what the idea means, and they love that idea. They right. know the idea is what America needs. Hey, we only have two minutes left in this segment, and i got to ask you one last question, and uh, which just very quickly is, so you want to have a, a party where you have candidates who will stick to what they say, unlike many in the current GOP, in a minute and a half, how are you going to make them do it? We have a, a plan in place, actually. So not only do they have to, you know, our platform at the national level is going to be very, very basic. I've already explained it. Smaller government, defending freedoms, protecting life. But each individual candidate, um, every state will have their own platform, but each individual candidate will have to sign their own individual platform as well. They're, they're, they're not going to be able to take their promises and go, you know, make them today and forget about them tomorrow once they're in office. We will be the ones holding them accountable. If they cannot achieve their own promises, they're not going to have to worry about the media knocking on their door, their competitors saying something or this, that, or the other. We're going to be the first one saying, whoa, you said here, you signed off on this, but yet you voted for this. What is going on? And if they can't keep that accountability, if they can't, if they can't justify you know, what has changed, then 
they won't be federalists anymore. They will pull funding, and, and you know, they will be banned. And, and I don't think, keep in mind, it sounds harsh. We're going to hopefully pick the right people who won't be doing this, who right. will not be, you know, who understand that, that concept that you have to, if you're going to make a promise, by God, keep it. If you're not going to keep it, you're not a federalist. You know, you go be a Republican or a Democrat. They, they'll love you. Okay, we well, this is part of the pressure uh, that Lori and I have talked about many times about why doesn't the GOP do what you're just describing? Why right. don't they say, you know, you ran on this, you're not doing, but the GOP has become more concerned with holding on to their power mm-hmm. and getting someone who's been elected and he, and he or she's incumbent and it's easy to elect him again. And that's more important than holding on to the values. J.D. Rucker in 10 seconds, what is the website people want to learn more about you? They can go to thefederalistparty.org, thefederalistparty.org, or they can text Federalist to 53445 to receive updates. J.D. Rucker, thank you so much. Great talking with you. Thank Thanks. you. Bye, J.D. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country. 
based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to the final segment of America Can We Talk? Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we, I want to say my thank you at the start of this segment to the sponsor for the show, without whom the show would not be possible, GC Works. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. I'm so grateful for their support of this show, the sponsorship of the show. Couldn't do it without him. So I have Lori Medina here. My roundtable is Lori. And I want to be sure to let her tell you about a pretty cool thing that happened recently. She was involved in a, in a campaign and what all came out of it. Well, I haven't been on the show in a while and I have missed you and the listeners dearly. So thank you for welcoming back. Love having open you, arms. as you know. Um, I, I miss uh, doing our little rants and uh, <laughs> <laughs> on air and off air. On air, off air. And uh, anyway, but I was uh, I was working for a very close friend of mine who was running for mayor in Frisco, and his name is Jeff Cheney. And if you follow uh, local politics, he won and was sworn in this last week. And just just a, a super awesome guy, just a, a awesome uh, fiscal conservative, just so strong on so many issues, and just uh, really care about him and his family, and just have a great relationship with them. Well, after the election, he decided that uh, he wanted me to continue by his side. So he has asked me to be his chief of staff. So I will be Jeff Cheney, mayor of Frisco, chief of staff going forward. Okay. And this is the first national announcement of your <laughs> right, right here on America That's right. Can We Talk. Breaking news, everyone. <laughs> well, it's very exciting. And you know, it is really exciting for anyone if you've ever worked on a campaign First of all, it's just so exciting if you really care about the race and the candidate and they win, 
And then it's even more exciting to be able to go in and work with them in some way. To and, and in this case, a local, we were just talking actually with the previous guest just a few moments ago, J.D. Rucker, about the importance of local races and how, you know, you that's a place you can bring change and you can bring new ideas. And it's very close to the ground. Yep. yep. And, you know, Frisco has been named uh, fastest growing city in America for many, many years. So there's a big spotlight on on this little town. Of 162,000, and uh, now I have the opportunity to help Jeff actually put in place and follow through on the campaign promises and things that we said we would do. So, which is very exciting for me. You know, I will say for listeners, if you're if you are in Peoria, Illinois, or Columbus, Georgia, I will say Frisco mm-hmm. is a town just north of Dallas. Well, quite a ways north, and it is um, suburbia is a good word for it, I guess, but it's, it's a little bit countrified, a little bit out there past suburbia lovely and of course it is a target therefore for lots of people to say hey we should grow this by you know slapping up a bunch of apartment complexes and bringing in you know so it's just really the the quest in america to hold on to some kind of americana community and it's the uh world headquarters of the dallas cowboys okay (laughs) that is the end of the story there you go (laughs) what else can you say about frisco okay well you know the very we had just a uh, this few minutes left to talk tonight. And, you know, I always say this show is about preserving the most important political idea in the world, which is America, and everyone doing your part, each generation, to preserve this country. I love talking, and we have talked many times, I guess, on the show from Israel. In fact, I've done the show from Israel, and um, which was just a blessing. My husband does a lot of business there, and so I was able to go with him in February, I think that was, and did a show from there. It was really fun. But, you know, Israel's in the news for a variety of reasons recently, and um, one had to do with during Donald Trump's campaign for president. In fact, Ted Cruz was on this issue, too. Maybe more of the Republicans who ran, but were on the issue of whether or not the United States would take a stand and move our embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv, which is not the capital, mm-hmm. to Jerusalem, which is the capital. And that was one promise that both Ted Cruz made and Donald Trump. Promise is a strong word, but I mean commitment, said yeah, we're going to move the embassy, the American embassy in Israel, to Jerusalem. And now President Trump is on his trip over to, he's in Saudi Arabia, he's going to the Vatican, he's going to Israel, meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu. He's going someplace else too, I think. But anyway, he's traveling abroad. It's a really, really big trip. And so there was anticipation, hope that maybe in this trip, President Trump would announce, yes, as a matter of fact, you know, we're, we're moving the embassy. And they appear to be backing off. He hasn't said, never mind, we're not. But it's kind of a, this isn't the right time to raise that. And you just have the sense that as in previous presidencies, at least I think it was George W. Bush and definitely Bill Clinton said they moved the embassy and then didn't. And this new reticence by President Trump about moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem falls on the heels of the president's visit in the White House with Mahmoud Abbas 10 days ago or so, the Palestinian Authority chairman. And I, I find this, I mean, I, I know the arguments. I'm sure people say, how are you going to start a peace process if they make the Palestinians mad? But, but go ahead. Listen, yeah. we have been giving the Palestinians and the Arabs everything they have wanted every time they ask. I mean, we know the classic story of Bill Clinton uh, when he brought uh, the PLO at the time and and, uh-huh, and the Israelis to the White House and basically gave everything to Arafat that he wanted. And he still rejected it. And it was for a, a two state deal. And, uh, you know, that and the thing is, is 
giving them more is not going to make them live in peace with Israel. We know that for a fact. Um, you know, and this is also on the heels with, you know, this this wailing wall comment by McMasters. You need to tell our listeners what that was. McMasters came out and was asked about the wailing wall, and he said that uh, that the wailing wall was not a distinct Jewish uh, monument or place, that it was something that all religions looked to or held sacred. Okay, Which McMaster's is, being his, is it National Security Advisor? Is yeah, that, yeah. So. Okay, so McMaster, he's also the one who has already come on board with, well, we can't really call it radical Islam. We can't really talk about, you know, we can't associate terrorism with Islam. Right. I, and, I mean, what is he doing in this administration? Right, well, and the, but it's it's all these little things. It's the Mahmoud Abbas, it's the Wailing Wall, and then earlier on, a few weeks ago, didn't they say something about, um, uh, the Golan Heights and those developments that that Israel need to back off of that area, and that was Trump himself that said that, right, in that press conference, I believe. And so, you know, the thing is, is he came out so strong for Israel and for conservatives, for Republicans, and for Christians, for especially for evangelical Christians. We uh, have a very high regard, and we understand the importance of keeping Israel safe. That is very important to us as voters and as Americans. And uh, we see Trump going the opposite direction on that important Israeli policy. And it's very upsetting. Yeah, I am deeply concerned about a number of levels, too. And I will say this, you know, the the notion that Ronald Reagan, I think, was the first one that made the phrase famous. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We just don't do that. And when I think that that was a brilliant kind of uh, you know, kind sure. of stand to take, sure. we just simply don't. And I think that you know, for people who've you know obviously there have been strife in the Middle East uh, since uh, time began, pretty much between the Jews and the Arabs, and the um, and and then between uh, Muslims and the and the Jewish nation. And this, what what I'm deeply troubled about is. I don't think, as Lori was saying a moment ago, I don't think there will ever be a time that the Palestinian Authority will agree to a two-state solution that includes their commitment to to treating Israel, to agreeing Israel has a right to exist, to agreeing Israel should not be attacked, right. to agreeing that Israel's right to be the Jewish right. nation was formed to be. And to me... Trump is, I think that President Trump thinks he's making things better. He's softening the Palestinians by not moving the embassy to Jerusalem because then maybe they'll be more amenable to his, you know, famous uh, negotiating skills. That somehow he's going to cut a deal. But it's just the opposite, mm-hmm. dealing with people like the, right. in the Palestinian Authority. All they understand is force. Mm-hmm. And so what is needed is a sense from uh, the White House, from America, that we're moving the capital, or we're moving the embassy to the Jerusalem to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, because our ally is Israel, and they said Jerusalem is our capital, and therefore that's where embassy is going to be. Right. And and so, I mean, I think we would be, I think, just the opposite of what Trump seems to be thinking. I think we'd be in a stronger position because Palestinians, they're going to get mad about it. They may lob some rockets. But at the end of the day, for us to say we're taking a firm stand, Israel's our ally, and you're going to buck. And we would be stronger with all of our allies worldwide. And I think we'd be on better footing with our enemies worldwide. I think they would know that we are in control and that we're going to follow through on on Trump's promises that he made. He made a lot of bold, big promises during the campaign. And right now, he needs to start following through on some of them. Yeah, I will say, I think on the, um, the, the stuff on the campaign, I... 
you know, this is another example of when you come into Washington and you are, you may, you may love America. I will say, I will always say about Trump, he loves America, unlike Obama or Hillary, who just despise the idea of America, of, of personal liberty, of power held by the people, of, of limited government, of freedom. These ideas drive Democrats nuts. So, so Trump did have that. But he didn't have the foreign policy or just general historic appreciation to to deal with a situation. And I know he's trying and he's learning. And, and this is the whole thing about bringing insider in. And, and I'm, you know, this is where we are. But there needs to be a series of advisors in Washington letting Trump know that he is expected to stand by Israel. And, and, and you know, he, we're just going to end up with the, you know, ridiculous, wasted time of another negotiation. Because the Palestinians, if they sense weakness on the part of, Obama, of Trump, if they sense America is going to try to play both sides of it, what they have done since time began, they will continue their aggression against Israel. But because Trump doesn't stand strong on any ideology, any philosophy, any theology, theology, morality. Uh, He has no stand on these issues that he has this coterie of of people around him that have all various beliefs. And so that's why he's never going to have that. He's never going to have people that stand by him and say, Trump, you've got to do this when it comes to Israel, because he has so many different people saying so many different things. Yeah, he has that, and he has a um, kind of a, you know, when you don't, that old expression about if you don't um, stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Just the whole, he doesn't really have a sense of judging the rightness of Israel versus uh, the Palestinians' right. claim to things. He hears both sides and, and thinks they both probably have some value. Okay, before we tune out, because only 30 seconds, I do want to say in a positive note that today President Trump gave a speech in Saudi Arabia. It will be posted at AmericaCanWeTalk.org. And it was very it, good. Yes, it will be posted on our Facebook page, a very good speech in which he very firmly called on the Muslim-majority nations to crack down on terrorism, told them they're responsible to be part of stopping it. It was a great speech. I will give them that, a great speech, very which I will speech. post at America Can We Talk. So, fastest two hours of my week. Love, love, love having you tune in. Thank you so much for listening. Come back every week to America Can We Talk. We talk truth about America and why it matters to you. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.